Hey, good morning, Crossroads. Good to be back with you this morning. I think this is about the third time, maybe, that I've spoken to you. And uh, uh, just in case you weren't here previously, just a little uh, thumbnail sketch. Uh, for the last 26, 27 years, I've been pastoring Salisbury Church, which was uh, the church that Eddie and Dizzy and, and Stacy and Josh would call home. Now, that was home for me as well. It's where I grew up, and then God gave me the opportunity to pastor and lead there have recently transitioned out, hand the lead off to next generation, and I'm just waiting for God's next uh, bit of direction. But my presence here is a part of an opportunity for you as a Crossroads family to express uh, some special love to your pastor and his wife. I can speak personally uh, to the effect of the cumulative effect of long-term ministry on you in ways that you don't often even realize it's happening. And Jesus kind of uh, extended the invitation at the end of Matthew chapter 11 when he said, uh, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Well, long-term pastoral ministry can, can leave you in that place uh, in, in ways that are hard for you to understand if you haven't been in the midst of that. Well, uh, your leadership here at the church recognized some time ago that Eddie was kind of getting there a little bit, needed to kind of pull the pin and drive off for a little while to just kind of experience a special time of refreshing. And so he's going to be doing that for the next several weeks. Uh, I'm going to be here with you during that time uh, on Sunday mornings. Um, I'm so committed to this, as a matter of fact, that I'm going to, Kim's going to put my personal contact information on the screen if you want to jot that down, or Kim, if you'll help me and get that to your secretary here. Your staff is ready to cover your needs. Uh, Kurt and Steve and Chris, they're ready to take care of things. They're going to they're come alongside of you in Eddie's absence because our request of you is to, is to let him disengage. You know, I've, I've encouraged him to give his wife his cell phone and let her decide what he needs to see because he needs to be able to come to Jesus and find rest and to find some refreshing. And then he'll come back to you ready to latch on and to take off again. But he's gonna take, it's going to take all of you in order to let him have that time, meaning don't be calling him, don't be texting him. Just, just pretend like you've forgotten he's out there a little bit. And then when he gets back, you can start treating him the way you normally do, all right? But uh, for now, we're going to give him a break. And, and if, if for whatever reason there's something that you think I may be able to step in to help with, that's my cell number, it's my, my email address, uh, I want to encourage you to love on your pastor and let some of us, the rest of us, your leadership here, your your, the, the, the leader, the guys in the circle, your staff, they'll be happy uh, to come alongside of you so that we can express our love to, to Eddie and Diane in this time, this season of refreshing for them. All right? So what I promise to you is that uh, every week I'm going to bring God's Word to you. I'm going to allow Him to fill me up, and I'm going to come and let you have it. Well, in the sense of what He's given us. All right? Uh, you can count on that. Now, I'm not as funny as Eddie is, and I, I, I'm not going to find a coo as cool of videos. We're, we're different guys in that regard, but, but I promise you that we'll have God's work, Word every week when we come together uh, for the next few weeks. This series that I want to start this morning is, is titled Cycle of Grace, and I actually heard it 
a few months ago, delivered in summary form by a pastor from South Africa whose name was Trevor Hudson. And, and he delivered this uh, message to me and uh, to us in a group, a training that I'm involved in at this point. And, and it was just phenomenal, the challenge and the, the eye-opening experience and the potential it has to impact you and the way you experience life. And so that's where we're going to be spending this morning and the next three weeks as we work through this cycle of grace. It originated this way several years ago. Um, they, there was an observation made on the part of uh, leadership in the church at large. They began to recognize that there were uh, missionaries that were being sent out, and they were full of excitement and, and energy and passion for the work that God had called them to. But what was begin to be recognized was it wasn't very long before they were getting weary, and they were stepping back, and they were coming home. Because something wasn't just right. Well, there was a, uh, a psychologist by the name of uh, uh, Charles Lake and a, and a theologian, Emil Bruner, who got together and said, we've got to get this figured out. These are some of those who God has called into ministry, and we want to make sure we are caring for them. What's wrong that they aren't experiencing longevity in terms of their ministries? And so they decided that, that they were going to just immerse themselves in the Gospels and find, find what it was that was key to the experience of Jesus that allowed him to be, be constantly immersed in ministry, always uh, at it, and never seem to lose that passion and that energy. Now, mind you, he was the Son of God and all of that. But there had to be things in his life that could be learned and gleaned. And from their study, what emerged was what we will see illustrated in a diagram that became known as the cycle of grace. We're going to see that diagram now, and I want you to see we're going to spend some time there the next two or three weeks uh, just uh, uh, tweaking out these different levels. This morning we're going to start with the one that you'll see there on, uh, on the left titled acceptance or affirmation that all of our experience of grace and following after Jesus starts there. It's foundational with an awareness that when it all comes to it, we play for an audience of one, that there is one opinion that we must rest on, and that's God's. We hear a lot of other voices. Steve did a great job of choosing mess uh, uh, music for us this morning that emphasized that. That there are a lot of other voices, a lot of other opinions that come into our world that we give a lot of credence to that end up taking us places where we really should not be, feeling about ourselves differently than we ought to, not resting in the full assurance, the affirmation, the acceptance of our Heavenly Father. Our scripture this morning is going to come out of Matthew chapter 3. Early on, John the Baptist has already arrived he has begun to prepare what the way for the arrival of the Messiah. He begins baptizing uh, kingdom uh, acknowledgers with a baptism of repentance saying, get ready, the Messiah is coming. And then Jesus arrives and he comes to John and expresses a desire to be baptized. And here's what we're going to find in our text. Once Jesus has gone into the water and John baptizes him, 
Verse 16 says, And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Acceptance. A statement of affirmation from God the Father to His Son. Let's pray a moment. Father, thank you for the carefully preserved word that you have delivered to us. And thank you that in spite of the fact that it is 2,000 years old, it is still as relevant to us today as it was then. God, I pray that your spirit will make it alive to us this morning, that it will find its way to our hearts, and that each heart that has that good soil prepared to receive it, Lord, will launch it into life and it will bear much fruit in us. Lord, may we get a sense of your pleasure in us this morning. Father, as you expressed in your son all that time ago. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. The Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke record this same occurrence the baptism of Jesus, and the declaration of pleasure that was made by the Father upon His Son. Only the wording is just a little bit different from those eyewitnesses. Instead of it saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, as if it was an announcement of the Father to those who were gathered, Mark and Luke record it this way. It says, you are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Words that would arrive directly from the Father to the Son. And we encounter a bit of theological mystery there in terms of just how much awareness did Jesus have in his deity and humanity of what it was that God was up to with his presence. You know, Paul teaches us in Philippians chapter 2 that there was an emptying that, 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 that Jesus didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to, but he emptied himself. A voluntary laying aside of some of the constant practice of the attributes of God. He didn't cease to be God. Don't hear me say that. He continued to be God, but he was also man. And so we don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't make it completely clear. There are some shadows of mystery to it as to just what the awareness of Jesus was in terms of all that he was and all that he was here to accomplish. But what we do see is that this pronouncement on the part of the Father upon his Son was absolutely a watershed, a turning point for, for from here he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where you'll remember he was for 40 days fasting, tempted by the devil. And when he came out of the other side of that, baby, ministry was on. It was happening. But it all stemmed from this pronouncement. You are my beloved son. 
in you I am well pleased. I've, I've tried to give a little thought to just what would it have been like for Jesus to have heard those words of affirmation, to have allowed those words of acceptance to settle in upon him. Have you, have you sensed Father's pleasure in you? Do you live in that place knowing that he delights in you? Jesus had a profound, deep sense of the Father's acceptance. It was foundational to everything that was to come. Now, I want you to think a minute. Of all that Jesus accomplished while he was on this earth. Think about the Gospels and page after page, all the things that we're seeing, seeing him do. What are some of those that stand out for you? What, what are some of your best memories about the works of Jesus while he was here? Just let me hear some of those. Raising Lazarus? Yeah, that's a fantastic one. It's incredible. Come forth, Lazarus, and here he comes. As somebody said one time, if he didn't add his that personal name, every tomb around might have emptied out because he just said, come forth, you know, and here they all came. But he said, Lazarus, okay, you guys got to stay. Only Lazarus gets to come out, you know. What else? No right or wrong answers here. Just your favorite thing that Jesus did. Say a lot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We could go on and on and on. The, the incredible miracles that he did, whether it was touching the personal bodies of people and seeing them healed, or whether it was his mastery over nature, quieting storms and feeding 5,000 with the equivalent of a happy meal, you know, five loaves and two fishes and all the things that he did. But you know the interesting thing? When this pronouncement was made by the Father, none of that had happened yet. All of his incredible works were yet to come. And yet Jesus looked at, heard, the father looked at his son and said, I'm pleased. I love you. I take pleasure in you. And none of the stuff that was coming had happened yet. We get so focused on our worth based on our production and we carry that very naturally over into our relationship with God that somehow we know all about grace. We can sing all the songs, and yet we still tend to base our relationship with Him on what am I doing? Not that doing isn't important, but it is not the foundation of our relationship with our Father. When the Father pronounced upon his son, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. It, you, you know what Jesus had been doing for 30 years? Carpentry. He had lived in the obscure backwater of Nazareth. He was living a, a, a life unnoticed, unseen by, by anyone, almost. This was a pronouncement on the being of Jesus, not the doing 
of Jesus, which was still to come. We get so sucked into a cycle of works instead of a cycle of grace because we have not settled in. We are not resting in the Father's opinion of us. Jesus heard the words, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. A voice from beyond himself. It was a social, a social relational experience from someone else. And the father longs to communicate that same sort of pronouncement upon us. These pronouncements are primarily events. This awareness is not something that, that, that needs to continue to happen over and over and over again. But they do reoccur. For instance, many months later, as a matter of fact, by the time it occurs again in the life of Jesus, he is just months away from the cross, his ultimate mission. It happened or is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 17 when it says the text, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Peter said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. It's the Shekinah glory of God had just showed up. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God the Father had laid the son of his laid the foundation with his son of his love and an acceptance as his ministry launched now months and months about two and a half years into his ministry the father revisits that concept with him again because the pinnacle is coming. His passion is soon to come. He he drives that into the heart of his son one more time. Son, I want you to know I love you, and I take great pleasure in you. And it would be the security of that relationship that would launch him into what was the unimaginable passion that he was going to embrace for us. You see, you, once you become aware and... and of the Father's acceptance of His affirmation of you, it will surprise even you what you're willing to do on His behalf. But we're not doing it in order to get His acceptance. We're doing it because we have His acceptance and we know it and that changes everything. Because in his acceptance, there is great security. You can rest in it. You're not out there trying to get his pleasure. You already got it. You already have it. 
that, that transfiguration experience was so impactful for Peter that when he wrote his second letter in our New Testament, he refers back to it. Here's what he said. He said, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made by, uh, to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I love, I love a couple of those descriptions. First of all, Peter says, what happened there was he received honor and glory from God the Father, and he referred to him as the majestic glory. It's going to be something when we finally get home and we experience the, the majestic glory of, of God as we have not yet experienced him. But what happened there, that pronouncement was a, was a, a communication of honor and glory upon his son. And again, that carried him through all that was coming in those difficult months ahead as he went to the cross and took our sin. Affirmation and acceptance from the Father. Vitally important for his son, his one and only unique son, but just as critically important for us as sons and daughters of our Father. You will not get that from the world. What we get from the world tends to be just the opposite. We tend to get from the world words and actions that communicate rejection and shame and lack of worth, not acceptance and affirmation based on who we are. You see, our worth comes from the fact that we have been created in the image of God. It is within us, and the Father sees that, and He values us. He loves us because of that, but the world doesn't care about that. The world only cares about what are you producing? What do you have for me? What can I get from you? And when we fail to measure up to those expectations that whoever has for us, then we back off. The world backs off in terms of its acceptance, of its affirmation of us because we're no longer producing what they expected. Often in the world, it's based on our failure to fulfill expectations. It generally has very little to do with our being, but it means that you aren't doing what I want you to do, therefore I don't value you. G.K. Chesterton, pastor and theologian from years and years ago, said this. The hardest thing to believe in the Christian religion is the infinite value it places upon the worth of the individual person. Every single piece, person in this place this morning bears the image of Almighty God. C.S. Lewis said, we've never even seen an ordinary person because they are all divine 
in Christ. Sacred, valuable, beloved, who are pleasurable to the Father. Now, Sometimes it may require the equivalent of an archaeological excavation in order to get through all the debris. <laughs> you know, started in the garden with Adam and Eve's disobedience and how our, our natures became broken, bent away from God, but we're still beloved. And often we have to dig through layers and layers of debris that have accumulated upon us in order to get down to and discover the remnants of that image in which we are created, His image, and can then begin to see it rebuild and overpower our brokenness. And it becomes then the dominant feature of who we are, not our brokenness. But it all begins with that awareness of in our being Not our doing do we encounter the love of the Father and His pleasure upon us. It's difficult for us because it's, it's again, not what we get from the world. Henry Nouwen, a prolific writer now, deceased, but said, Here, here's some of the things that we tend to place our worth personally on and even to judge the worth of others around us. Now and said, I am what I have. In other words, we kind of judge each other. We kind of determine value based on accumulation of material. And the more stuff then the more value you are, the more value you have. That's not how God sees. God's not impressed with all our stuff. You've got a mission trip to Haiti coming up soon. Uh, Any of you that are on that trip or have already been or anyplace else into the developing world, you're going to find out there are some people who, who have and know wealth that we're clueless to. (laughs) because they know it's, I'm not what I have. I'm much more than that. Another one that Nowen drew attention to was, I am what others think of me. Oh, we spend an awful lot of time worrying about what they think. Did you ever wonder who they are, right? Now, sometimes they are pretty vocal, and you don't have to guess, but sometimes we allow them out there to just kind of, we assume that they're thinking things about us, and it robs us. It, it, it keeps us from really keeping our feet set on God's opinion of who we are, our being before Him. Does His opinion matter as much to you as theirs? I am what others think of me? Or I am what I do? In our Western world, we're all about production, and and the value of people is based on what they can produce, what they can bring to the table, what they can make happen. Our, 
you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. And Jesus had been living 30 years in obscurity. He hadn't done any of the big impressive things that were yet to come. Because it's a pronouncement. Value is based on being, not doing. Now again, we're going to get to the doing part. But it's not our foundation. And if you set it up as a cycle of works instead of a cycle of grace, gosh, you're going to be burnt out, you're going to be tired, you're going to be disillusioned. And you'll, you'll live in an uncertainty of never knowing if you've done enough. The foundation, the beginning, the launching point has to be an awareness of the Father's affirmation of you, His acceptance of you. Trevor Hudson, who I, who I heard present this material, added a couple. He says, I am what the personality tests say about me. You know, that's our deal. We're all diagnostic, right? And we take these tests and figure out who we are and those kind of things. And, 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 and sometimes those are, you know, kind of positive and helpful. And, and sometimes they just turn into labels that aren't very helpful. Have you ever been labeled with something by someone that you didn't find very flattering? A diagnosis from an expert that kept you from really resting in God's opinion of who you are? We're much more than what any of those things say. Or how about this? Hudson also said, I am the worst thing I have done. It would surprise me greatly if some of you in here today are dragging around past, and some act of your brokenness that the devil is using to keep you from resting in the acceptance and affirmation of God. Oh, you're here, and, and you're going through the motions, but you're not living in his pleasure because there is something in your past. Listen, maybe that you've never told anybody and it's just a dark shadow that looms between you and your God oh how the devil delights to rob us of the pleasurable, pleasurable pronouncement of the father upon us because of something we did in the past or something that was done to us wasn't, wasn't our action. We were, we were the, the, the recipient of some broken act of someone else. And the devil uses that the same way to say, well, you're damaged goods. Papa in heaven doesn't delight in you because of this that happened to you. Crippling. It's absolutely crippling to the cycle of grace if that's the sort of thing that keeps you from resting in him, being aware of his presence and his delight. Here's how we're going to wrap this up today. 
I, I sit down with my Bible and, and said, okay, Father, what, what can I tell these folks that will make it beyond obvious how you view them, what you have done for them that will assure them that, that a similar pronouncement that Jesus heard as he came up for the baptism, that, they, that he was loved and that, that he was the object of God's pleasure, what can, I, what can I use to remind them that will help them sense that in their own being, that will provide them that foundation that's not about all they're trying to do for you, but just in you, who you have made them and what you have done for them. And so I just sit down with my Bible and, and uh, started in, in Paul's epistles, and I just started thumbing through, taking notes. And all I want you to do right now, maybe you want to you close your eyes and just, and just listen so that it removes some of the distraction of the sight lines. Because I want you to hear from God's word, God's voice to us, his fresh breath of his spirit spoken through his word that will counter any of the, of the, the false impressions that the adversary has gotten entrenched in your heart and your mind. I want you to hear from the Father, from his word. Romans chapter 6 and chapter 8 says that we are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that we are part of the body of Christ in this world today. You and I are the primary operating vehicle of Jesus in this world today. You're a part of that. Galatians 1 says we have been rescued from this present evil age. Let that imagery of the rescue unfold in your mind and your heart. He's rescued us. We're not captive to it anymore. Ephesians 1 says we have been blessed. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Listen, we have been chosen and predestined and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. You know, adoption requires a choice. He looked at us and said, yes, I will have you in my family. Yes, I will have you in my family. I know where you've been. I know what you've experienced. I know what you do, and I know all you're trying to produce. I choose you in spite of all of that. I want you in my family. Ephesians 2 says, 
As a result of his rich mercy and great love, we have been made alive, raised up, and seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. We already have reservations. Since you've been saved by grace, you are the recipient of the gift of God. Philippians chapter 3 says you have a citizenship in heaven. Citizenship comes with great benefit. Are you living in the benefits of your citizenship of heaven? Colossians 1 says you've been rescued from the domain of darkness, transferred to the beloved son's kingdom. Colossians 3 says you are chosen of God, holy and beloved. 2 Timothy says we have been gifted for ministry. We've been freed from fear. We've been enabled by the Spirit with power and love and discipline. 1 Peter says, we have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, reserved in heaven for us, protected by the power of God. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, born again of imperishable seed. He says, you are a part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. You've been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. You've been partakers of the divine nature. Let that one settle in. You are partakers of the divine nature. That seed is within you, longing to burst into life and transform your old brokenness and let the glory of that original image dominate who you are again. First John says, we are children of God upon whom he has bestowed a great love. You are called and beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ according to Jude. All of that, package it up. Let it settle deep into your heart and soul. Let, let the Spirit of God take that which you most dearly and desperately need to hear and let it be as affirming and, and communicate the kind of acceptance that Jesus would have sensed as he came up from those baptismal waters and heard the Father speak, you are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. It's foundational. You get that in place, and it will launch you on into your life with him. Listen, a life of great adventure and excitement, just wondering what it is that Papa God has to bring to you and through you next. But many of us don't live in that place of affirmation, acceptance of the Father. We're listening to a lie. Papa says to you this morning, enough. Enough. Will you choose to value my opinion above all else. Hear his word for your heart this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time together with this family, Lord, here in Sullivan, Indiana. Lord, thank you for what you have been doing among them. Thank you for all that you have in store, all that you intend. And Lord, in a gathering of this many folks, no doubt, there is absolutely somebody 
who just needed to be reminded this morning that you love them. Not because of what they can do. Or Lord, that you haven't stopped loving them because of something they have done or something that's been done to them. But Lord, you would pronounce upon them. You would pronounce upon them your pleasure and your love completely separate from any of the doing that we expect to be required. Father, may your spirit continue to communicate that sentiment through the song that we'll enjoy just now. May it affirm truth of your opinion of us. Thanks, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.